It's Friday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back for final show of the week. And a little different Friday at that because we're going to talk Vikings here in just a minute. They, of course, played last night, lost 34-28 to the Eagles, fell to 0-2. Two one-score games that they've lost so far this year, technically, although yesterday was... I was, I guess, technically it was. It, it was uh, they scored late and then tried an onside kick, but that game never really felt like it was within their grasp. Uh, they would have had to make a defensive stand, and they certainly didn't do that. But we'll get into that game here in just a minute. Some thoughts on um, on what went wrong there. After that, Phil Miller from the Star Tribune will join me to talk Twins. Going through some interesting decisions, the Twins are almost certainly going to have to make. Um, heading into the postseason. Now, the AL Central is not officially wrapped up, but the Twins beat the White Sox 10-2 to on, uh, on Thursday night. Magic number down to 8, division lead up to 8, with just 15 to play for the Twins. This is feeling like a even more and more like a foregone conclusion. They will be heading to the playoffs, heading to the postseason. A lot of questions, though. What's their What's their playoff rotation? Which Which pitchers get the call down to the bullpen? Which ones um, end up starting? And which Which regular relievers might not make the the postseason roster at all? Byron Buxton, a big question as well. Bobby Nightingale, by the way. Um, the other beat writer, the Kobe writer on the on the uh, Star Tribune Twins beat, has a good breakdown of some of these similar topics on StarTribune.com today. So those two things working quite well together. Check both of those things out if you would. So, yeah, that's coming up here in just a few minutes. First, though, like I mentioned, let's get into the Vikings and what happened on Thursday night. It was another good reminder that we can't ignore the evidence and let emotion get in the way of analysis now i'm gonna take you back on a journey about six years back to the nfc title game after the 2017 season when the vikings again traveled to philadelphia just like they did on thursday to play a game and that one obviously the stakes much higher vikings were coming off the minneapolis miracle were playing for a spot in the super bowl which was being hosted at u.s bank stadium it was a dream season of sorts 13 and 3 surprising because of all the injuries they'd had at quarterback and I looked at that game, I looked at the analysis of that game going in, and at a lot of different skill positions, it seemed like pretty much a wash, right? The Vikings and the Eagles were both using backup quarterbacks. Case Keenum had had a very good season for the Vikings. Nick Foles was a little bit shaky, but he was a good backup quarterback. Um, the Vikings had plenty of other skill position guys, Stephon Diggs. Dalvin, not Dalvin Cook that year, but Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, lots of other guys who could make plays for them, and a defense that had risen to the occasion that season, uh, one of the strengths of those Mike Zimmer teams. But when I did a deeper dive analysis, I remember sitting in the Star Tribune office working on kind of a deeper dive statistical analysis of how that game might go. I really dug into a lot of the you know pro football focus numbers. I kept looking at the line play, the offensive line for the Vikings versus the defensive line of the Eagles and vice versa, but especially that first matchup, that defensive line for the Eagles against the offensive line of the Vikings. 
The offensive line for the Vikings had been improved that year, but they were dealing with some injuries towards the end of the season, and the Eagles had a ton of really good defensive players that they rotated through and wreaked havoc on other opponents. And I looked at both of those line matchups, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, in a game like this, when you're on the road, you can't afford to be giving away so much of a what seemed like so much of a deficit on the line you're not going to be able to get the ball out in time you're not going to be able to run the ball like you want to and on the other side of the ball the eagles are going to be able to dictate what they want to do because they're going to keep you clean keep keep the pocket clean for nick Foles. they're going to be able to run the ball things like that lo and behold it was not a season of destiny it ended a game short 38 to 7 in philadelphia and the line play told a lot of the story in particular on the game turning play when case keenum had his arm hit on a throw vikings had taken an early 7 nothing lead and were had the ball around midfield when keenum was hit as he threw interception pick six vikings never scored again eagles scored 31 more points so there you go how does this relate to thursday night Almost entirely different set of players, but the same story. The line play, even though the Vikings have tried to improve there, even though they've invested vast amounts of resources into the offensive line since that fateful game, drafting Brian O'Neill, drafting um, Christian Derrissaw, who did not play in that game, drafting Garrett Bradbury, um, drafting... uh, Ezra Cleveland drafting Ed Ingram their entire projected offensive line this year were all number one or number two round draft picks in each of the past five drafts and now you look at them and they you know they've been okay especially those tackles the tackles are good but the interior of the line still a big question and it looked like the Eagles especially with Bradbury and Derrissaw out for the game had a huge advantage there and on the other side of the ball It sure looked like the Vikings kind of inexperienced and maybe kind of rather ordinary front was going to have a hard time stopping the Eagles, particularly in the running game. And that is exactly what happened in this game. Now, the fumbles told a huge part of the story again. That's a huge concern. I'll get to that in a minute. But the line play... The line play on both sides, these tr- the trenches right now, are not going the Vikings' way. They couldn't run the ball against Tampa Bay. They couldn't run it against the Eagles, and they couldn't stop it against a very good Eagles running team. What we got to find out the rest of the way here is if these were two bad matchups for especially the Vikings offensive line and that they might get a run game going at some point here. They've tried to invest in it in the offseason, signed Josh Oliver, went to a different style of running game with Alexander Madison instead of Dalvin Cook. It seems like wishful thinking at this point because they have not gotten anything going in the running game in either of those two games. And on the other side of the ball, the Eagles ran for like 259 yards really let them take control of the game with some really long drives, kept the Vikings off the field. And like I said, when the Vikings were on the field, they were too often being careless with the ball. That's seven turnovers in the season, only one takeaway. All four of them on Thursday night were fumbles. You had the punt return fumble early. You had Alexander Madison putting it on the ground, the huge crushing one. Bad things are happening right by the goal line at the end of the first half. Last week, it was the interception that K.J. Osborne could have had, but it was kind of behind him. This week, it was Justin Jefferson fumbling at like the half-yard line right before halftime. Vikings could have gone in with perhaps a lead 14-10 or at worst 14-13. Instead, they're down 13-7 at the break. Philadelphia scores twice quick in the second half once because Ole Udo, backup tackle, 
um, let's uh, let's pressure get in. He's a, it's a strip sack, and sooner and very soon after that, the Eagles are in the end zone. So line play, backup line, and here's the thing too: malpractice with how they went about building the offensive line this year. It was uh, you know from the jump. We knew this was a deficiency to a degree last season. They went with continuity. They didn't get enough depth, I don't think, or not enough quality depth to the point that we looked at it and said, okay, um, if they have two starters out, it felt like they didn't have a chance at all against the Vikings or against the Eagles. Now, to their credit, they did get back up. They rallied. They got to within 27 to 21 with about five minutes left to the point where if you could muster one defensive stop, you would get the ball back with a chance to potentially win. And instead, of course, the Eagles ran the ball, ran the ball, ran the ball, and got the got it into the end zone. Vikings, you know, needed to uh, needed a, basically a miracle at that point. They got one more late touchdown, but would have needed an onside kick. So, big points here are the fumbles. That's carelessness. That's pressing. That's something where you feel like you have to do more than you are being told to do in a game because maybe there are deficiencies elsewhere. Seven turnovers so far this season. Six fumbles lost. The Vikings only lost eight fumbles all of last season. Six already this year. Now, their turnover differential last year was only a plus two. That's That was one reason you looked at this season and said, okay, maybe that wasn't as extreme an outlier last season as as we might think. The one-score games were one thing, but think about it. The way they got turnovers last year, so many of those turnovers that they that they got, so many of their takeaways were fourth quarter, huge turnovers. That was not sustainable. So you think about the timeliness of turnovers, two huge ones so far this year that have dictated how games have gone. That interception at the goal line last week, the fumble at the goal line this week. All of it adds up to this. Kevin O'Connell was 10 and 2 in his rookie season last year through 12 games. Vikings are 3 and 5 since then, including the playoff loss to the Giants. That's going in the wrong direction. I don't know where the rest of this season is going, but I don't feel good about it right now. I just look at this team right now and I say there are a lot of ways to beat the Vikings on the line. Um, in the secondary, um, a lot of different ways to beat this Vikings team, and they cannot simply afford to beat themselves. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. I've got twins beat writer Phil Miller with me right now. He just came off of covering a good share of uh, the recent games the twins had against the Rays, where they, you know, they showed okay. They they finally beat Tampa and certainly didn't lose ground in the playoff race before we started recording, Phil, you were talking about how Cleveland making it awfully easy on the twins to kind of focus a little bit more on the medium and long term and not so much the short term um, fan graphs as of recording time on Thursday afternoon, Phil, giving the twins a 99.9% chance to win the AL central. If we can say this is all but done um, with, you know, just 15, 16 games left in the season now. A lot of the more interesting questions now spin towards October and not September. And a lot of 
a lot of interesting potential questions for the postseason roster, assuming there's not a one in 1,000 miracle choke job in their future. I always love that uh, Minnesota fans uh, uh, set it up as, oh, how much is this one going to hurt? Uh, yeah, this would uh, it would take a lot. Yeah, they, they beat the Guardians two out of three. The Guardians went two and five on the West Coast. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it's funny, though, like uh, we were talking about, I don't know if it's the nature of the game today or the nature of this team, but for a team that is – going to coast into the playoffs and have two weeks of uh, of practice games basically there sure are a lot of unsettled questions about what this team is going to look like in the postseason and and uh, yeah a lot of a lot of decisions to be made what are the big ones in your mind I mean we could start with probably the biggest one which is are they going to have Byron Buxton and, and how much is that worth? at this point in the season. Cause we, you know, we reported he had the cortisone shot the other day, their trainer sounding confident that he'll be back at some point this season, but there's been confidence at other points in Byron Buxton's career. And he hasn't necessarily always um, been able to come back from those injuries. What's, what's your perspective on Buxton as we kind of look at this final two, three weeks and potentially October, which he hasn't gotten to participate in much in years past. Well, I expect there to be some uh, horrific news about his condition in the next couple of days because every time they express optimism, there's a setback. It's uh, true, and it's it's so it's so strange. He was such a big part of the team early in the season, uh, so was Joey Gallo, and uh, and now it's it's even if they're healthy, it's hard to imagine just exactly what the role will be. Um, it, it, I will say, if he is healthy, either the Twins leave no doubt he will be on the roster and he will play, and they are confident that he can get healthy in the next couple of weeks. So what does that look like? I, I think we've probably given up on any hope of him playing the outfield. I, uh, I, I surely think that that's probably put off until next spring now, but um, he – you know, he was playing hurt and he was in a pretty deep slump when he got hurt. And he doesn't always bounce back quickly, uh, especially without uh, some rehab. Now, the uh, Saints have another week and a half worth of games. So maybe he can, uh, they come home next week. So maybe he can get some games in there. I'm sure the Twins hope so. Otherwise, they'll have the final week of the season to uh, uh, simulate games, just try to work him. Uh, and, you know, the question is, what role do you want him in then? Is he your everyday uh, designated hitter? Is he only out there against left-handed hitters? Uh, you know, they that is a real weak link for them. So if, if he's up to that, um, you know, that could be real helpful. But this is one of the major guys, maybe the major guy when he's healthy. And two weeks out, they have no idea. Uh, what he's gonna, what he's gonna be uh, in the postseason, so that's uh, that's the big question to be sorted out in uh, the next uh, what fifth, uh, seventeen days. Yeah, and you know, like you said, contrary to past years, they've been okay now this year when he's been out, and part of that is that they were really 
struggling as an offense when he was in. And part of that is because he was really struggling to hit for those last, you know, two months, whatever the, the slump was and the, then the, you know, the, the physical condition was deteriorating. So it's a different question probably than in past years where, you know, past years they were so dependent on him and there was no question that when, and if he came back, he would be immediately inserted into the lineup and probably in center field and that they would be kind of pinning a lot of their hopes to that, you know, so it's, it's different this year because Guys have hit better in his absence. It's created a different kind of rotation for designated hitter. You know, Edward Julian, who's a little banged up. And we can talk about him in a minute. He's He largely has filled a lot of those DH at-bats and done well in a lot of those situations until a little bit of a snag recently. Gives you a chance to have a guy like Royce Lewis in the lineup every day, and he's been tremendous for them for, in a lot of different ways. Really kind of gave them that separation with some of those big games he had two, three weeks ago. So it's it's just an in, you're right it's an interesting question. There's like eight to ten guys that you're looking at right now. We we talked about even before we started recording that we don't quite know what to expect and we don't quite know how the postseason roster shakes out. But I suppose some of those dominoes could be determined in part by Buxton. Yeah, they have a lot of uh, the shape of the pitching staff, uh, and you have to start with the fundamental question of how many relievers and how many starters do you really need in a. Uh, um, you know, postseason, but uh, up and down the lineup too. Uh, you're right. There are there are questions. It's it's difficult to imagine uh, a big important game with Byron Buxton sitting on the bench. Um, but no, I mean, Royce Lewis has stepped up, but they they still don't uh, have the firepower from the right side when they face left-handers, and and so that is. Uh, that's one big reason to have him on the uh, roster, but could they just limit him to that? It's difficult to imagine the twins uh, leaving Byron Buxton on the bench uh, in a, in a game if he's healthy. So, you know, they've got two weeks to get him healthy. Uh, and we've, how many times have we said that, uh, you know, get him healthy, get him healthy. Joey Gallo, another interesting one. He's, on the injured list right now had been in a pretty massive slump before that kind of like Buxton you you referenced it I mean we tend to forget because it's been bad for a while but he had a lot of good big games for them in in April and May they were at least frequent enough that he stayed in the lineup um if he's healthy what's his role potentially in the postseason or is there one well he's healthy uh, I watched yeah. him uh take ground balls at first base and run the bases. Uh, he's, he's, uh, I think he is, uh, only <laughs> slightly, uh, injured. I think it was, uh, a sort of a wink, wink, give him a couple of weeks yeah. off, uh, injury. Um, you don't want him in the lineup every day anymore. I don't think, uh, they, they, you know, they pinch hit for him the first chance they get, uh, when he's there against right-handers. It's such a, it's such an odd. Uh, he, he's such a unique player in every way, and it's been such an odd season. Uh, you know, until a couple of days ago, he led the team in home runs, um, and and now we're talking about is he going to be left off the postseason roster? I imagine he is. Um, now that Willie Castro is healthy, with Nick Gordon potentially being healthy, if if you sit down and say who might be more useful in extra innings of a playoff game, what could, uh, you know, what could Joey Gallo give us versus Nick Gordon? You know, Nick could pinch run. He could give him flexibility if they pinch it for some infielders. 
Um, I, I think they'll probably leave, leave him off the playoff roster, but they could also cut down on the number of pitchers they carry. And, you know, they can change the roster series by series, uh, which helps. So um, that is, uh, I think he's holding on to a roster spot just by his fingernails. And uh, um, I, I, I can see that they might say, what if we just need a, you know, we're down three in the bottom of the ninth and get a couple of guys on base, would we take a shot? But he has been so terrible in the second half of the season. Uh, literally, he literally did not hit the ball out of the infield for three weeks. Um, uh, you know, I, they, they keep him around. Uh, so there must be uh, some thinking behind it. Um but, uh, you know, uh, the one thing that I will say is that these two weeks give them a chance to put him in the lineup again and, uh, you know, see if he can rev up again to uh, his uh, how he looked in April because uh, he was arguably the MVP of the team uh, the, uh, outside of the pitchers the first six weeks of the season. Maybe Kirilov's health has something to do with this as well. Um, but, you know, it does seem to me like, Walner has become the kind of hitter they wanted Joey Gallo to be, right? right. I mean, it's kind of that's exactly. kind of it. He's he's a little bit all or nothing, but he gets on base a fair amount, and when he hits it, he hits it a long way, and that's kind of Joey Gallo's game. But Walner does it to a, a an acceptable level, right? Yes, uh, the his slumps are he goes a couple of days without uh, without getting a hit. Joey's have been he goes six weeks without getting a hit. <laughs> <laughs> and and, That's a problem. Yeah. and he just looks so lost at the plate. It's such a, it's such a strange phenomenon uh, that if you, it just makes you wonder because when he taps into his talent, uh, you know, he's, he's the better player. He's been an all-star twice. Uh, um, it's just been such a uh, crazy year. I see why teams sign him uh, and I see why teams uh, cut him loose because yeah. uh uh, I've never, I've never seen more of a hot and cold uh, player than this. Um, but you know, you have to think about what wins games. I had a, an interesting talk with Derek Falvey the other day about playoff rosters. And of course, he's not committing to anything and not really giving away many secrets. But he does, he does say they have a lot of research. You know, it's all pretty public. It's out there of what wins playoff games. What, what statistics correlate with winning? Yeah. And in the playoffs, there is no statistic like home runs for winning games. Uh, and he can do that sometimes. Um, and uh, so that I, I do think that that's why they are keeping him around. Michael A. Taylor seems like he's progressing and will be a part of this mix. And he's been a pretty big part of this team, let's be honest. I mean, they would be in a much better, much different place um, given how Buxton's year has gone if they had not made that acquisition of Taylor and had he not had the kind of year. I mean, I, he's not a great hitter, but he's had some timely hits and certainly a very good center fielder. That I'm I'm assuming he's, you know, assuming he's healthy. He's one of those kind of core players where there's no doubt, and he's probably in the lineup most of the time in the in the postseason. You definitely put guys like Correa, Kepler, Polanco, Lewis in those definitely playing if healthy categories. And I'm, but aside from that, you know, and, and a catcher, probably Jeffers, 
there's not a lot of those guys where you're definitely saying, yep, that guy's 100% in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, what would their season look like? It looked like last year, you know, when they were running yeah. the Ref Snyders and Contreras's and Celestinos through uh, center field and, uh, and you know, and kind of fell apart at the position. Uh, I know they signed him for his defense. I am sure they did not expect to get uh, all the home runs they've gotten. Um, so, uh, yeah, he has been a big part. And he's fine. Uh, he is... He is ready to play now. He'll play this weekend, and he's just going to use the next two weeks to ramp up. He also has a lot of playoff experience. He had a huge hit in uh, in the Nationals uh, wild card game uh, on their way to the World Championship four years ago. So, um, I yeah, there's no question he's around and he'll uh, he'll be in the lineup. Uh, and you know, having uh, Willie Castro back and you know. Another Gordon or Gallo on the on the roster gives them a chance to hit for him uh, against right-handers late in games if they don't like the matchup. But uh, um, uh, yeah, I don't think uh, there's much question that Michael A. Taylor is on the on the roster. Let's talk pitching for a little bit before we go. Maybe we can start with what what do you think is? I think it's pretty obvious that. Games one and two are Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray. I would be shocked if it wasn't that. Um, you know, he could maybe quibble about what order they go in, but it seems like it's tracking that it would be Lopez and then Gray. And I, I think I like that order a little bit better because I feel like Lopez has a better chance to work deeper into a game that he's maybe more of your kind of bulldog ace could give you six or seven, and then that sets you up for you know games two and three to not not be bullpen depleted so much but gray's had a very good year been very effective and will battle what then do you think is if they get to this point and that would require winning one of those games which has not come easily in uh, twins history if you got to a game three in a wild card round a do or die game three what do you think is the pitching plan in game three yeah winning a game does not come uh easy in twins history is a funny uh it's a funny understatement. Yeah, it, it will, will it be weird if they have a parade after their first win? Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that's one thing you have to ask. Um, the third game will be interesting. Um, the default uh, question is Joe uh, is, is Joe Ryan, and he's kind of the assumption, although he has been shaky uh, down the uh, stretch. It's interesting to me uh, that uh, they are bringing back uh, – um, of Bailey Ober this weekend, and he's going to start Friday night. And I, you know, they gave him essentially three weeks of um, of rest. Uh, a couple of them, a week and a half of that, completely rested, and uh, a little bit on either side of that. To uh, um, while he wasn't pitching very well here, and then uh, and then ramping him up, I. You know, he's a guy who, when he first got here in April and May, was at times with with the other guys, uh, maybe the best pitcher on the team. I don't know if they would give him a start in a deciding game, but he's got two weeks to show that that's a good idea, and he's got the confidence for that. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, Joe Ryan a couple of times has looked kind of like, I'm not sure what's going wrong here. Maybe they would uh, – start one and have the other ready uh, and, and you'll have a, a really quick hook in the playoffs. Uh, but I would not count out uh, Bailey Ober 
for uh, the start in game three. I think these next two weeks and uh, they've got time to get him three starts is uh, a really, uh, really important to uh, whether he's on the postseason roster at all. For one thing, if he's not going to start or, or piggyback with uh, Ryan, um, it, you know, I could see them leaving him off completely. Um, but he could be, he could step into uh, a game three role. Uh, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't count that out. Yeah, I think it's it's fascinating, and I think you know, I think Dallas Keuchel has been a nice story. Has given him some some good starts and some not so good starts. He got hit pretty hard by the Rays. That was a game I was at on Wednesday, and got knocked around pretty good by the Phillies. Um, certainly, maybe by the Rangers one time. Although he pitched okay against the Rangers another time. I think that was maybe in relief. But he doesn't. I don't. I don't look at Dallas Keuchel and see a guy who has playoff roster written all over him, although he certainly has big game experience. Kenta Maeda is an interesting one. Chris Paddock is an interesting arm. Louis Varland. How do you think all those guys fit into the mix uh, pitching-wise? Well, it could be a completely different bullpen. Uh, when we uh, get to uh, the postseason, uh, you know, the Josh Winders and Cole Sands and Cody Funderburks and uh, you know those guys have gotten them uh, to this point and Thanks very much, but uh, they probably uh, Chris Paddock is confident he can help. I'll tell you, you say Dallas Keuchel doesn't look like a playoff guy. Dallas Keuchel is the most uh, confident pitcher in the clubhouse. Uh, he really, really uh, thinks that uh, when he's on, he can help a lot. And they don't have uh, left-handers, uh, an abundance of left-handers around. Um We've been, you know, there's been a lot of talk in the press box about is there a role for Dallas Keiko in the postseason? Um, your instinct is no, and then you're right. Uh, his track record is good against bad teams, and it and uh, his his tough starts uh, the past month and a half have been against good teams, and that uh, that kind of sorts itself out pretty quickly in the postseason. Um, I, he's an interesting uh, case. I guess he's probably not on the postseason roster but he has more experience at it than anyone else uh he's you know he's won a world championship um so that's an open question but you're right uh, the chris paddocks kentamayeda um louis varland i think louis varland has cemented himself now on the postseason roster uh in the bullpen uh it could be uh it could be a lot a, a completely different bullpen brock stewart is uh, racing to come back um that uh, would be a big help, although, you know, it's been three months, so uh, you can't be sure what you're going to get from him. Um, but, yeah, there could be an entire another starting rotation in the Twins' bullpen uh, during the playoffs because you really only need three or, in a best of seven, if they would make it that far, maybe four starters. So they've got all these arms that they trust more than their – um, middle relief, you know, the Dylan Floro and Cody Funderburk and those guys. Uh, so, um, it, yeah, the, I think the pitching staff will definitely uh, be completely different from what got them there. It's kind of like, maybe that's our final point. I, mean, I can't remember the Twins having a less settled postseason roster. And again, it's not 100% Sunstone, but this is very likely going to happen. And they have so many things, you know, unsettled with. 16 15 you know you know basically two weeks left in the season the playoffs I believe that series starts at target field 
October 3rd. Like so right. many things up in the air for a team that, you know, was a game under 500 at the break and has at least played well enough to create some distance now between themselves and the rest of a bad AL Central, a team that seems like it's ascending at least to a degree, even if they're not, you know, on fire right now. I feel like they've at least created a better identity for themselves in the second half of the year and hit a little bit more. Um, but so many roster questions feels foreign to me. It really does. Uh, what is the, I mean, the starting lineup has looked different every single day of the season. So uh, uh, I guess it'd be too much to expect the uh, the lineup to suddenly be stable uh, in the uh, postseason, but uh, but you know injuries and and the team has been transformed. Uh, the team this team looks nothing like the team that broke camp from uh, Fort Myers. Uh, you know Walner and uh, and Julian uh, are part of the everyday guys now. Willie Castro is in the lineup more often than not. Uh, Donovan Solano is uh, is an everyday regular. So. Uh, um, you're right, and then there are a lot of questions. Uh, is Edward Julian, who's clearly on the field, not 100% healthy? Do they shut him down for a couple of weeks or a week to give him some time? Uh, Carlos Correa, is he, uh, you know, obviously he's going to be in the lineup of the postseason, but he's got to, they want to make sure that he's 100% healthy. Uh, yeah, um, 26 spots on that uh, on that roster, and uh, you can make a case for uh, 33, 34 guys, it, it will be interesting. It will indeed. And of course, the backdrop of it being the postseason losing streak dating back to 2004. They desperately want to win a playoff game, a playoff series, obviously more than that. But it feels like the opportunity is there, just the different playoff format than, than, you know, than they're really used to. And then they experienced in almost all of those years. Gives the division winners at least a, a, a little bit more of a, an upper hand. They probably won't be getting one of those two buys, but they do get the last of the wild cards, which will be a good team. But all those games will be a target field. There's no reason this shouldn't be a competitive series that at least goes down to a game three. But they'll be underdogs in every game, so uh, you know you have to kind of temper your expectations a little bit. Uh, they do. It probably does help them if the wild card race comes down to the last day that uh, teams will have to expend their best pitching just to get there while the, you know, the twins can start setting their, uh, their lineup and uh, rotation now. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 there are only six games above 500. So, yeah, uh, uh, you know, it's been a, yeah, they have a chance. Uh, the Phillies made the world series last year, but, uh, um, they're going to be underdogs in, uh, in whatever series, uh, it winds up being even, even though it'll be uh, all at home. Yeah, well, it'll be a fun final two weeks to watch. Not even so much because there's a lot of drama left in their um, their division, but you're right, watching who their opponent might be and watching how all of these rosters roster decisions sort themselves out. That will be a lot of uh, the intrigue in these last uh, last days of September. Phil, appreciate it as always. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Phil Miller, as usual, and good reminder that there's plenty to watch down the stretch here. A lot of really interesting decisions. Like Phil and I said, I can't remember a time when the Twins have been in the playoffs and had such an unsettled feeling going into the postseason in terms of their roster. Not necessarily a bad thing. I think they have a lot of good choices to make, especially uh, with the pitching staff. A lot of 
willing and able participants. It's just going to be interesting to see how that all sorts itself out down the stretch. Speaking of down the stretch, let's finish with the cooler. It, you know, it always seems to me that either the Twins or the Vikings in September find a way to take the heat off of the other if one of them is struggling. Then the other one seems like it has taken the focus off of them. We can put our attention into them. I wonder if that's going to happen again right now with the Twins seemingly destined to win this AL Central and heading into the postseason at least, playing for the next few weeks at least. And, you know, I don't know how long that series, how long the the run will last, but at least having a playoff series to gear up for this season is certainly going to be extended and has meaning right now. The Vikings, on the other hand, you know, don't play again for a week and a half now, get a chance to regroup. But that season, kind of not on the brink right now, but on the precipice. Only 10% of teams in the last, I think, like 50 or so years in the NFL have made the playoffs after starting the season 0-2. Now, a little bit easier now because there's seven playoff teams and there's 17 games, so a little bit more forgiveness in terms of coming back from that. I still feel like if they could get themselves right, could stop turning the ball over, get this offense into high gear. Maybe they're going to be okay, but maybe they can kind of hide in the shadows for three or four weeks while the Twins take over the spotlight. Maybe by the time they are ready to reemerge, things will look a little bit different, but not, in my estimation, if they can't figure out this line deficiency. That will do it for today. Like I said, I think earlier this week, special edition coming up on Monday. Um won't be Roycey on Monday. He's traveling. I'm traveling to different destinations. I will be in North Carolina this weekend for Gophers, North Carolina. Group of friends of mine and I will be there. I'm going to record a podcast with them. It's going to be tons of fun. We're going to talk about the Gophers, probably talk a little bit about this Vikings game with them as well, because all of them um, have some Vikings history in their backgrounds. But expect the Monday podcast to come off of our trip to North Carolina and our experiences and that game for the Gophers. 2.30 Central Time kickoff, 3.30 if you happen to be traveling for it. That should be a lot of fun. Until then, thanks so much for joining me. I'm Michael Rand, back at it again on Monday.